0: looking through the book of James and um, thinking about wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge in real world life. Wisdom isn't really taking a test or memorizing a passage, although it can involve those things. You can uh, get all A's in school and flunk life. So it's how to not flunk life. Be wise, understand the situation, know what to do, when to say, and when to be silent. Um, And we're thinking, especially coming out of the fruit of the Spirit, how our faith works itself out in this real world. So today I want to talk about your favorite stuff. And there's even a little spot uh, down underneath in the bulletin you could write these answers out. Compare notes with your neighbors. Take them home and talk about it with your family. Just simple stuff. You know, favorite. What's your favorite? We talked about fruit of the Spirit. So what's your favorite fruit? I told you mine. Pineapple, fresh pineapple, not canned pineapple. So favorite fruit, write that down. Favorite vegetable.
1: Got to have one.
0: Can't put none. None. Um, Favorite meat, are you a chicken person or pork or beef or what? Okay, then simple, pizza, what's your favorite pizza? I know uh, pineapple on pizza is a dividing line for a lot of people. Obviously, I like it. Favorite dessert, scratch that down. Favorite team, who you got, who you rooting for? Favorite music. You could do uh, genre or band. And then we're also taught don't show favoritism. So your list, right, that you've written down already, you shouldn't have. We've been taught not don't show favoritism, right? We, we, we mean that. We say that. Obviously, it doesn't mean to this. We make distinctions. Okay, so let's keep going. What's your favorite? Gender, what's your favorite
1: economic bracket? And what's your favorite skin color?
0: Those are a little different, aren't they? Different nature, that's more of what James is talking about. Those types of distinctions. And then what's your least favorite? gender, skin color, economic
1: brand. We rank things.
0: We make lists. We have websites dedicated to this, like people of Walmart. We make fun of what people look like or what they do. Another one that's... Funnier, I think is awkward family photos now you remember pe- someone took that family photo right <laughs> my friend was telling me about uh, all the people in his purview that he was in charge of when when phones became more and more everyone had them he noticed that they were ranking each other. You know, this is like a hot or not thing. You rate someone on 1 to 5 or 1 to 10. And he was very frustrated because these were second graders. In the public school, he was the principal. Rating each other hot or not. James is certainly warning us. Isn't he? We have first impressions. Even though we say you can't read a book by its cover, we make them. We have cultural standards and ideals. Some of them have been given to us that we don't even realize. Some of these are just the the water we're swimming in and we're fish and we don't even see them. Some of them are given to us by our own household. We got taught this way. We We didn't really decide to do it but we don't see it. And sometimes we have chosen by experiences. And this happens in the church. We are no exception. We are people just like everyone else. And one of the biggest ways is with wealth, isn't it? Our default is to show favoritism because of what people can do for us. But in the church, God tells us that all are welcome. All are welcome. All people, regardless of any circumstance, in any way, created in the image of God to be given dignity and honor. And we all have equal need for Jesus. Amen? So just two points for you today. One is the danger of judging and the freedom of mercy. The danger of judging and the freedom of mercy. It's very interesting if you go back and look at the GI Bill. Remember what that is? After World War II, all veterans were allowed to uh, purchase a house or get education and the government would pay for it. It was a, a massive game changer for people that had served in the, the army. Now, of course, you know, back then, more types of people served in the army. It was still a lot of poor that served in the army. And so, so when they came back and, and, and the government said this, they were able to purchase homes for the first time and get out and go wherever they wanted or become educated, things that were not possible for them before. However, um, the way this worked was the government didn't give the loans. The government paid the loans. So the person had to go to the bank and get the loan. The bank would give them, you know, say, okay, and then the government would pay for it. Make sense? I don't know how else they could have done it. Or the person had to get into the college or university, get the tuition, and then the government would pay for it. Well, you know, guess what happened? If you were black and you went into the bank, they didn't give you the loan. The government couldn't make them do it the people were in charge of who they gave it to and where the person could go. This is where you get redlining, right? There were, there were actual maps that had red lines on them that say you can only be inside this line or outside this line. And so what happened is 1.2 million black soldiers were denied housing. They didn't get that house. That, that, that everyone wanted. They, they, they couldn't get it. 4% of those eligible got the loans. But think about that. So, so in, in there were 13 Mississippi cities, and there were 3,200 guaranteed loans, and, and black soldiers got two. Now, lest you think that was a very Southern thing, In New York and New Jersey, in the suburbs, there were 67,000 mortgages handed out, 100, 100 to black soldiers. Education, you'd think that would be, but guess what? You couldn't go to any college you wanted. So there were only a few places you could go. And those were already underfunded and swamped, overwhelmed. They didn't have space for all these people that wanted to go to school. And so, you know, this bill ended in 1956. Eight million vets were educated, 4.3, home loan, 4.3 million home loans were $33 billion were handed out. Who got that? What does that have to do with today? Well, in 2019, the median income for white families was 76,000 the median income for black families was 46,000 you see how it goes right what's that got to do with us who was giving those loans and denying those loans people in churches christians now james isn't writing wasn't writing to this particular the Roman Empire was just as bad, if not worse. One key thing, though, you got to realize is, is back in the day, slavery worked very different. It wasn't based on skin color. It was just whoever you conquered. So, so there were slaves of all types of people. It's just as, as Rome moved and they captured new people, all those people got slaves. They went another way. All those people got slaves. So it was a very different dynamic in the way it looked, at least. Um, slavery was very different back then. There's only a few times in the world where what we had here on our soil, American slavery as we know it, was instituted. Like one would be the Aztecs would, would enslave types of people like that. It's not super common, but the rich and the poor dynamic is always. There are different standards and punishments and crimes then and now, based on how wealthy you were. That's still true, isn't it? If you are rich, you have better access, you are better, you have more power, you are more powerful. The Bible doesn't think so. The Bible is completely countercultural, isn't it? Did you, did you listen to the, to what we read, what Matt read to us in, in Leviticus, the the Bible, the Lord, as he keeps on putting his name on this. After he tells you something about this, he says, "I am the Lord." Tells you another thing, "I am the Lord." He is serious about this. He gets super mad about oppressing the poor. Last week we talked about what do you get angry about, and I said, "What does God get angry about?" Look here, this. Takes ticks him off. All people created in God's image. So that's why he says it's blasphemy. It, it, when you treat people this way, you're saying something about me because I, they're in my image, right? If they're in my image, that means they are mine. They look like me. I created them. And when you treat people that way, you, you are blaspheming me. In Ecclesiastes, just for another example, Solomon most likely writes, It's better to be a barking dog than a dead lion. Lions are symbols symbol of wealth and power and royalty. Dogs weren't pets. They weren't pets. They were very annoying scavengers, unclean and filthy. It's better to be a barking dog than a dead lion. We all stand before God. We all need Jesus, and we all have this instinct that we at least have to see and admit and repent of that we judge others. God calls us out. He says when, when you have somebody come in, you say, here you go, the best seat. Oh, here you go. Sit over here. I think I mentioned I grew up in a little town in, in southwest Missouri. And um, when I graduated from high school in 1989, in K through 12, the entire Ozark Public High School system, one black kid. He was in second grade when I was a a senior in high school. I don't know, I can't think of an Asian person that I know. Now, you know, I also didn't know Kazakhstani. I mean, it was just nothing. We were all white hillbillies. That's what we had. And so it didn't occur to me that that was a problem. I, I never encountered the problem. I, I don't think that's a healthy way to see friends and, and grow up in the world. But it wasn't like my fault, but I had to understand that's how I grew up. In Oklahoma, we started this awesome, awesome nonprofit called Restore OKC in the, in the poorest zip code in the city. And, and we went into the schools and, and helped teachers and support teachers. And we, we got backpacks and uniforms and had people in classrooms so that when, when a, a kid was acting up, they didn't get expelled and go home. They could sit with someone for an hour and calm down so they could return back to the classroom, right? The classrooms of 35 kids and overwhelmed teachers, they just expelled them. We helped uh, women who were job hopping, and in these, you know, the, the housing prices got jacked up to take advantage. And so we were helping them learn how better how to work. And so cleaning homes isn't like super sexy job, but, but they could work from the time they took their kids to school to the time they could pick them up. Instead of working on these night shifts and be there with them, which is what they wanted to do we talked about it a lot we did you know housing projects and uh, eventually built a a grocery store in the food desert and it was awesome and we had people leave the church over it it's very hard to actually say because they're racist so you got to make something else up sounds at least a little better you stop preaching the gospel, would be one. Or uh, We just want to be around a different
1: people. It's heartbreaking, really.
0: We'll scoot away. We'd really rather they scoot away because it's our church, but we'll scoot away. These kids are too rambunctious. They're not paying attention in Sunday school class. Well, maybe because they don't know how to read. So who do we value based on social status? We, we, we just tend to intuitively think if you're wealthy, it's because you worked hard. If you're poor, it's because you're lazy. Just, that's ingrained in us. So do we take our cue from culture or from God? Are the rich intrinsically better? Are white men intrinsically better.
1: No! It's not wrong to be rich. It's not
0: not wrong to be poor. We need a mix. We need to learn from each other. We need to share Christ together. And, And James right here, God all throughout, he says it's evil. It's evil to judge people this way. Because God is the judge, and we honor him, not money or status. And the poor are rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. So what, what do we got? Okay, here we are. We just sort of painted this picture. Now, you know, we're all in sort of different places. Like, I'll come down heavy on this because God does. I, we're not all in the same place exact place although we're all here in this sort of era you know and when James starts going into you shall love your neighbor as yourself oh, it's, that's easy to say and hard to do this is where you start getting into what Jesus says how are we going to define your neighbor okay let's figure out who we're talking about so I can know which ones I don't have to Love or, or do have to love. And then he, you know, he really goes in and he says, listen, you know, we are committing sin. We are convicted by the law. We are transgressors. This is just the deal. We are judged because we're in this text. And, and then we remember, as Paul says, the wages of sin is, is death. we are sunk and so the only way forward is the good news the good news of the gospel i'll remind you the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord amen right we got we are we are in so bad a shape without that I know we really love to say, like, okay, well, that's, that's really bad, but that's not me. I just don't think it's true. It's very tempting and easy to say, like, oh, this text is for other people. But we don't get what we deserve. I worked at this Christian camp, and uh, I was, me and this other counselor had 10 10-year-olds, I would say 10 bedwetters. I don't know what the deal was. Being away from home the first time, I guess, I don't know. So we, we had these rules, of course. And whenever uh, the boys would break the rules, they had to run stadium steps. And this was, this was a long, uh, it wasn't a stadium. It was like a cliff. And so it wasn't cut perfectly. And it was, I don't know, 100 steps. It was a lot. So we, we would take them to the steps. And I hated this. We put them on our backs and we had to run the steps in their place to show them the gospel. It was a terrible, terrible policy. Guess what happened? The kids never got in trouble because we didn't want to do that. You would have to go run the steps, but I'm going to let you off the hook this time. (laughs) we paid their price Isn't that priceless you know what's true is Jesus doesn't have my terrible attitude he willingly pays the price right not begrudgingly in any sense he took all of that judgment all of that transgression all of that wrath for you to set you free it's his joy and his grace to release open the doors of even people like us lousy sinners like us
1: and if we are his people then
0: we should follow his way however imperfectly we do I understand that we shouldn't target certain demographics so that our deacons and our elders can be in in brackets would get frustrated with our finance team sometimes it's always hard be, not good to be frustrated with your finance team because it, there's just like mentality of growing the war chest like we're, we're harvard we got to have a trillion dollars in the bank right and so we, we dole out some but we're trying to get more and get more now i understand i want to have savings in our bank account and there were times when I was like, <laughs> we are in trouble. Ooh. But that's not the goal of ministry. M- ministry does get funded. I mean, please, give, 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 give. But the goal of ministry isn't to have a whole bunch of money in the bank. This happened a lot with, uh, with college students. Churches would get frustrated. They would really want to have college students come, and then they would come and say, like, we don't want this many college students. Why not? They don't do anything. They don't give any money, they don't contribute. Hmm huh. Another way that it happened is when I did college ministry, there were college ministries that targeted leaders. They want to lead leaders, or they would target fraternities and sororities, same thing, or they would target athletes. You get it, but I just don't think that's the way the church works. It's not supposed to be the way the church is. We should at least grieve that we have an instinct to do that. We should see it and be sad about it. We need who Jesus supplies. That's who we need. And we are all to be poor in spirit. Some people know they're poor in spirit, some of them don't. We all need Jesus. And in Christianity, built into its DNA is this whole thing, this whole principle, that the kingdom of God is, is like this. It's not for the, for the wealthy or the smart or the beautiful. It's for all people, and the people that especially get it seem to be not those, those people. And even in, in 70 A.D., Ignatius of Antioch, a church father, wrote that. We only... No, this is true or possible because he wrote it, so it's not really easy to substantiate. But the book of Philemon was written about Onesimus, this, this slave. And Ignatius of Antioch says he became a pastor. Surely there are slave pastors, poor pastors. know so much more about the Bible so much more about the love of Christ in their lives the rich and the poor the powerless one of my favorite examples for this thing because we don't see it that often would be CrossFit I know I I haven't mentioned it too many times I know it's a cult But it's interesting because there are some gyms where you go in and everybody looks amazing. Because of the place it is or uh, the demographic where it sits or the type of people they cater to. But CrossFit tends to be a little grungier, Um, certainly not fancy, hot, sweaty. And the great thing about it is anybody can go. Now, I know you may not think that, but I've seen people that were zero fit as a fiddle walk in, and they are welcomed with open arms. And, and so what happens is, because, you know, like in a lot of our workout, we do it at home, or you go to a gym and everybody's doing different stuff, so it's, it's completely disparate of what anyone's doing. No one is paying any attention to anyone else. In CrossFit, you show up at the same time. Like you, You're a 4 o'clock person, so you're always there at 4 o'clock. So you start to get, know, get to know the 4 o'clock crew, and you're all doing the same thing. Now, you're not all doing the same thing in the same ability way. Like Some people are really good at stuff. Some people are really terrible. Some people are just starting. Some people have, are good at other stuff, right? But at the end of the day, no matter how you did, you are lying on the floor, crushed, and giving high fives to anyone around you. you. You did great. You tried hard. Let's show up again tomorrow. One of my favorite stories is there was this guy, and he signed up. He, he had just started. There's this thing called the Open that everybody in the world does. The same workout every week for six weeks, maybe. And he didn't even know what it was, so he signed up, and he he, was, he couldn't do anything. Like, he was just starting physical fitness, which is fine. You know, We all get born with different bodies and skills, and we grow up in different environments, so we steward our skills and bodies differently. That's okay. If you're trying to change that, that's awesome. So this guy, like the first thing was like jump rope. He had, not, he had never jumped rope. So he jumped one, was a personal record in his his life. He couldn't barely do a box step up. So there are box jumps. So he did one. Everyone cheered because they were like, you did it. You know, it's embarrassing to come and only do one. But he got a standing ovation because everyone was so proud of him. See, that type of community right there should be us. Shouldn't it?
1: I'm glad you're here. You made it. It's
0: not easy to come. We don't know how other people's sanctification is going. We don't know where we started from, what, what we were given by God or, or our parents or our, our education. So, so you can't just watch someone and say, oh, look, you're behind.
1: We don't know. Are all welcome. Will this neighborhood miss us if we move?
0: I looked up the demographic of this zip code. I think there's maybe 40,000 people 40% white, 30% black, 15%. Hispanic Latino, and I don't know what percent Egyptian We have the beautiful message: the life-giving grace-soaked, mercy-saturated gospel offered to all people who feel judged you feel judged Uh, you have to I know you do in some way in some area of course you do it may not be obvious for everyone to see all the time even just two weeks ago Julie and I were talking and she was asking me about the book publishing and if it was if it was going to make it and I just instantly felt judged she did not mean to it wasn't her intent at all but I just instinctively felt ashamed. I wanted to make more money so you're happy with me. Boom, right there. So we had to talk about it the next day and I had to tell her that's how I felt and I was sorry and it wasn't her fault. But Jesus offers mercy and hope and freedom to outcasts and sinners, to the hopeless, the people that feel like we feel. We have the deep, deep love of Jesus. It's not just for the rich, it's also not just for the poor. As I worked with, these, uh, with, the, with this zip code in Oklahoma City, I just loved it so much. And it was so, my eyes, I started to see things differently, experience the kingdom of God, pray differently. And then this guy asked me to lead a Bible study for businessmen in this incredible facility. Like, this guy was a lawyer and financial manager. He eventually became the chief of staff of the governor. This is like the type of people. And I was like, ooh, no. I don't like being around people like that. <laughs> so I, I was judging the rich. I'm just saying, it goes all crazy, right? My instinct in my heart is to, like, peg people somehow. And I had to say, if we want to talk about the, the love of Jesus, you bet Sign me up. Jesus isn't saving the pretty and the funny and the connected, the people that do it right. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Friends, may we be rich in faith. May we be heirs of the kingdom. May we hold that faith right there, that faith the faith of the love of Jesus for his people. Amen? Amen.